Hi, Lenny. Welcome back. Hi, Adam. Nice to be back. Nice to be back with you. Yeah, the last time. You know when you were on the, on the show? Oh, I think it was about a year ago. Yeah. Just when I it started April, flying. April 2021. Exactly. You said uh, there, there are no flights. So what is the situation with flights right now? Well, um, I'm working for a private charter company now, and I am uh, flying rich people, families around uh, from Nebraska to wherever they want to go, like good destinations. The destinations are very good, much better than the, uh, the regional airline that I've flown, flown with before. So that's fantastic. I just came back from New Orleans uh, for the weekend. I was there, and I just came back about, uh, yeah, well, yesterday. So, so you are happy. With I'm, the, enjoy, with the, I, I, I'm enjoying. It's it's hard work. It's harder than the the regional airline. But I'm the captain now, and it's all on me. I'm like the master of safety and the master of uh, the master of my uh, universe, which is uh, very nice. I I like it. Okay, so you are the captain. So that's I am. Not bad. You can call me Captain Premac. <laughs> captain Premac. Yeah, this is actually great. So, um, what happens? So the question is, you know, do you have, have even time for programming then? If you're flying well, all around the world, do you know what Java C is? Java C, you remember? <laughs> yes. Well, I haven't. I, I haven't actually typed Java C in a long time, and it's, uh, you know, it's 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 been Maven verify, not Maven clean install. Yeah, exactly. So I like the verify way. I want to, you know. Uh, start always clean. So why we are talking is uh, what I understood is so there is a show monthly show called Air Hacks and what I did I explained someone asked about clustered annotation and um, the interesting part is um, what I'm doing right now because there are over 100 episodes already. So there is a section I call it time machine because I read the old questions uh, from 100 episodes ago. And there was one question about cluster, it seems like, and someone remembered that and asked about that. So, and um, and if you read the explanation of Payara, it says it uh, with the cluster you can have a distributed singleton. And then I kept explaining what uh, happens, uh, how JBoss is implemented, right. but this is not how uh, Payara uh, implemented this because Payara is based on Hazelcast, yep. and there is no single point of failure, and is used uh, and um, and uh, it uses Paxos behind the scenes. This is what you what you what you wrote uh, in the tweet. And uh, what what I think what happened is uh, you know you just adjusted the source code to my explanation right after the show, so there is no more conflict. So you <laughs> listen to what exactly I said, right. and yeah. and you and you implemented exactly that way that the next AirHex TV can say, okay, whatever I said you know the last time is right because Lenny you know changed the implementation of Payara to match my explanation, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they raised Git history and did all that, you know, behind the scenes and you know covered up. Yeah, sure. Like it, like a good. On, on this is uh, uh, on takeoff and landing, right? So this is you have a little bit more yes, time. So this yeah, is what when you, when exactly. you committed a code. Yeah, the the cockpit is uh, it's a small airplane, so the cockpit is so small you can't even take a computer up there. Oh really? Yeah, it's barely it has barely room for an iPad, or it just it's very small. Oh. Yeah, only okay. eight people, eight passengers. Okay, but still cool. So this, this is the real flying. Back then, this was like, you know, fly by computer, right? To just push 
push the button, well, take off, and then there's still there's still a lot of computers involved. It's not as automated as the bigger jet, but it's still you know it's still pretty automated. Okay. You enjoy the uh, larger jet uh, more or the smaller one? Well, I'm the captain on the smaller jet, so that's always uh, you know being the captain is always better than being the uh, first officer. So. Why? Uh, well, you get to dictate, you know, the way you want to run things and not just, you know, follow, follow the leader. You know, I'm the leader. That's, it's always better to be the leader. But you are, you are alone, right? There's no one else. No, there is. There's my first officer. There's two people. Oh, ah, okay. But, yeah. But there is no, no second officer, right? There is no, no room no for the third. <laughs> okay. The captain and the first officer and that's it. But you could actually do peer programming with the first officer. And you would be always right, right? So am I right? And the first officer has to say yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first officer is supposed to say, you know, when, when they, basically when I start a flight, I always say, when you see something, say something. I make mistakes, you make mistakes. So if, every, if, if you see something I'm doing wrong, you tell me. I won't get offended. And uh, just let's, let's keep us safe. Let, let's keep us in check. So, uh, but, you know, I'm the one who, say, so, who says this. And, uh, you know, I set the tone, I, I basically set the tone how things should be run. But of course, if the first officer, always they're encouraged to speak up and just make things better. And, and you know, they have to But it is how it should be, right? Absolutely. Otherwise, the first officer would be out of job. I mean, Absolutely. he's not allowed to tell anything. It would yeah. be just another passenger just, right? Absolutely. And guess what? Every time there is an airplane accident, uh, well, 90% of the time it's the captain's fault because uh, the captain didn't listen, didn't listen to this or didn't listen to that or didn't pay attention to that. Oh. So that's, what, that's why the first officer is very important because they're supposed to speak up if there's something they see that's not right and the captain misses it because we're all humans, we all make mistakes and two is better than one in that case. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So it seems like problematic, right? Because, yeah, it de actually, uh, if the captain allows the first officer to speak up or it just encourages this, then this is safer. Mm -hmm. If not, you know, if the captain is not okay, then we have a problem because the first officer can do anything to improve the situation, right? Yeah, and that's... The like, way. this is pro process problem, actually. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, I wish, you know, they... Uh, Technology world would take uh, would take things from the aviation world because they worked out a lot of things that the uh, tech world has not at this point. Okay. Now, back to clustered. Mm -hmm. oh, let's start from the beginning. Yeah. So why we need this, and this is interesting because this uh, it started with the EGB singleton. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the you know most asked question always was how this works in cluster yeah this was you know the question number one and why it's not standardized and my answer was always yeah you cannot standardize it because this is too many ways to implement this so you cannot just you know prescribe how this works in a cluster but the application service can offer something in the cluster interestingly the uh jboss even prior to whitefly i used that in 2003 i guess they had already the distributed singleton and uh, WebLogic had also something uh, similar. But how this worked is there was one master yeah. and all the uh, followers wanted, you know, just waited until the master dies. And then one follower was elected to a master and this is how, how it worked. It was not 
unproblematic, but this is how it worked. Yes. Um, to my knowledge, is the uh, Hazelcast does something similar with distributed hash map, but is based on Paxos. So it is not like there is one dedicated uh, uh, master or how it's called leader and and followers, and uh, it, but it's based on Paxos. And when the main difference between Paxos, this is what I said is that in Paxos there is a group of I think called acceptors which make up the master or, 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 or leader. That's actually and, uh, how it works. Uh, it doesn't actually use that algorithm. It's, it's, it's a little bit different. And uh, you mean it, this is uh, what Hazelcast doesn't use Paxos, what you're saying, right? Yes. It's not, it's not, okay. it's not that. It's, it's similar, but it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's actually quite different. Um, but uh, let, let's talk just uh, a little bit about Paxos. You know, to 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 make it even more interesting, because um, Paxos, of course, uh, of course, also has an O2 uh, to follow the cap theorem. So there, there's no magic. And what they do uh, there's there's consistency no availability, consistency availability, and partition tolerance. And uh, and what Paxos, from to, to my knowledge, is similar to this. What I said, except that uh, there is a group of acceptors is called and the client sends to the acceptor request and the uh, and there is one one dedicated node which tries to make it happen and what means uh, makes it happen all acceptors have has to f uh, form a, a quorum majority and they have to agree and then there is a learner i think <laughs> a learner and then the learner can pick you know the information and do something with it this is uh this is a widely simplified Paxos. Very so what it means, instead of having one, you know, leader, we have a multiple leaders which have to form a forum. And um, because there is no magic, what uh, the problem of Paxos is that it may not finish. So, um, so it means if there are two, two leaders and they don't agree, they will don't agree forever. This is the problem. So Paxos is always consistent but it not always terminates. So this is now the cap problematic. And what I did in the AX workshops, actually, I always mentioned the FLP, Flinch, Fletcher, Lynch, and Patterson theorem, which says in a distributed system, which is asynchronous, uh, the messages, there is, no, there is no consensus algorithm available because you cannot know, you know whether the node died or is just late. This is, this is the main problem also simplified so and what i and 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 the problem is i also used hazelcast without payara and what i did back then and by the way uh i actually used uh, hazelcast from the beginning at the um it's it's i think is his name right this was the creator of uh, of hazelcast you remember that no lenny i'm not sure no. uh we were actually uh before he open source Hazelcast, we had a short, brief conversation about the license. And um, and um, I actually liked back then because there was nothing comparable to Hazelcast, and Hazelcast was the only was the only algorithm or the only distributed grid in memory grid, which was uh, not uh, JBoss EH or it was not EH cache. You know, it was uh, had not, it was like something fresh, and. Yeah. Um, and I used then what I'd used then with uh, uh, with Hazelcast was something interesting. So 
Java 8 came out and Java 8, no, Java 6 even, uh, came with a JSR scripting languages. Forgot the number, but you could integrate, it, it, it shipped with uh, Nashorn, Project Nashorn, and JavaScript could implement an interface. And what I did is I distributed the Java source code, uh, sorry, the JavaScript source code in Hazelcast, you know, so uh, the, the source code was available everywhere and it was implemented uh, by an interface or this Java source code was the implementation of the interface. So the cool story is um, on every node, I could just call Java Java interface, which was implemented by Nashorn and uh, I didn't have to know to use class loader. It was like misuse of Hazelcast and Nashorn to a class loader. That was the first one. And the second one, I wrote like uh, validations for my block metrics, also with Hazelcast. Yeah. So this was my, so actually I, I used Hazelcast a lot and uh, I used the distributed hash map, which is also cool yeah. because it's event driven and there is even a GMS implementation for yeah. the Hazelcast yeah. hash map, which is incredible because if you think about this, um, if you write to a hash map on one node and it replicates the state to all other nodes, it is more or less like a topic, right? I mean, if yeah. it, it just magically happens. And on the other side, if you get to events, so it can work. So this was my, you know, my background to Hazelcast. And you listen to the, to the AX, uh, this is yet the longer explanation. And the AX, I just said, you know, don't use it if you don't have to, which is still my opinion, because what can happen is if you have multiple nodes, they start up, sometimes really slow until, you know, define the quorum or whatever. And, uh, but, you know, not that the discussion here escalates. Uh, I would say in the Payara cloud, I would just use it when, because it's your problem if it doesn't work, you know, because uh, you have to... Got a yeah. quick question. When you use Hazelcast, uh, did they use, did they, maybe they switched algorithms because did you use the, uh, uh, do you remember the partitioning scheme that they use or was it something else? Um, what do I remember? I used to know at the beginning as Docker came out. And, um, and there was multiple options. What I could speed up is uh, I remember I had to configure the dedicated IP addresses so the nodes could find each other so uh, easier. Yeah. And this was faster than you just as the broadcast. But um, I mean, this this uh, uh, slow startup can just happen if the quorum is is hard to find. You know, if you start Docker containers and one Docker is late, it will wait until everything is available. So it's like yes. slow down. Yeah, but that's a configuration Which, thing. Yeah, but this is. Um, configuration thing what you should not forget you are the committer on clustered right if we are running something in production no one cares about the server that someone will find you know the configuration of stack overflow and that will debug forever this is the consequence of that right so but um what i'm fine with it this is a great great use case for payara cloud okay because yeah. uh, i would expect everything to be configured and you know in payara cloud they have everything set up and the Kubernetes uh, pods already know each other, so there is no problem. But uh, my advice is still don't use it on in in a public cloud and configure it by yourself, because why? I mean, it's hard to configure. You know, that's that's true. yeah, it's hard, it's hard to, to configure right. and 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 distributed singleton to, is not a best practice. I would say so. Uh, I would say your design on a greenfield should not be based on distributed singletons. Well, I would disagree with that. It depends on your use case. I think if the but, use uh, case... But uh, disagree later. Just explain what you did with clusters. Okay. 
Sure. So this first, and then we can disagree. So, okay, <laughs> no problem. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if Hazelcast switched algorithms between when you used it and when I used it, but the way I understand, the way I understand how Hazelcast works is uh, for, uh, the cluster, once, once the cluster is up and running, what happens is you have, um, a, you, it basically your data goes into partitions. So a single partition basically goes on one machine. So partition is on one machine. So one chunk of your data goes on one machine. And that one machine has the master copy of your data. But there are backups to that. And you can configure that. And the defaults are pretty good, if you, even if you don't. But if you do configure, you can configure where the backups go for each partition. And in that case, if a node goes down, you still, you know, then you get a, you, then, then the backup gets picked as the master node. But the bottom line is that a, there is a master copy of any chunk of your data only on one machine. And that's called a partition. And that's how Hazelcast is able to distribute um, your data in an efficient way onto multiple machines and guarantee or you know, guarantee some uh, the data availability. Uh, and clustered, uh, the Payara clustered annotation uses that. So what basically it does is every time you uh, have a transaction or an interaction with a clustered singleton, what it does is it writes uh, the data behind the clustered singleton because it's supposed to be serializable. It serializes it into a, a Hazelcast object, which is on a partition. So basically, uh, you don't have to pick a leader once the cluster is up and running. The leader is always picked for you by Hazelcast. And whenever you interact with a cluster singleton, you basically interact with the one copy or the master copy of the data that you have behind it. And that's all done transparently. There's no configuration. Uh, In JBoss, I've actually looked at JBoss before I configured uh, uh, before I created the cluster singleton and Payara, and all they talk about is oh, how you have to configure each of the clustered instances to see if you can pick a leader or not. I did not want that. I said that if you have a cluster working and it's running and everything's good, all you have to do is just have a clustered singleton. It'll just work transparently. And Hazelcast basically allows you to do that. And so all you have to do is just put an annotation on your clustered singleton, make it serializable, and you're done. So that's basically okay. how it works. Uh, first, the partition scheme is very similar to Kafka, right? So Kafka is... Uh, sure. I've never used Kafka, to be honest with you, so I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But by Kafka um, is actually how, how this works mm-hmm. is uh, every message has a key and a value. And from the key, Kafka knows in which partition the uh, entire message is stored. So and if you so then then the, you have you know the sequence of messages in one partition, and uh, you can have replica factor, and then yep. you know behind that the scenes right. the message uh, is copied by the broker to uh, multiple replicas which are on other brokers they are distributed. Yeah. So but I, I would say there is almost you know Kafka is almost a NoSQL database, so the, yeah. it has to be similar. But it's interesting how similar it uh, it actually is. So um okay so the singleton. What, what you are mentioning is, this is just, I mean, the at clustered annotations, it, it just, you know, ensures that there is only one in a cluster, right? Correct. 
is not you are not accessing the hash map, right? Yeah, we are accessing the hash map every time. You, you are accessing you are accessing the hash map to achieve that, but yes, the 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 hash map is not exposed to application development. No, no. All you have to do is you have your singleton. All you have to do is put a add cluster on it, make it serializable, and you're done. So there are two clusters, and you go to one pyra cluster, and the singleton is actually on the other one. So what happens then? Hazel you get your distributed lock. Yes. Uh, well. Locks are optional. You can have it locked. You may not have it locked. We have a uh, lock parameter. If you want to go into locking, there's a parameter on the cluster annotation to tell it what kind of locks you want to use. So for CDI, the default is no locking. For EGB, because it's consistent with the EGB, how EGB does things, distributed locking is used by default, but you can turn that off in the cluster annotation itself. Yeah, you're right with the CD option, CDI option, because in CDI is not even sure you would like to use transactions and just, you know, lock in CDI, no one will expect it. So this is the right configuration. Yeah, exactly. I basically, you don't want anything unexpected or anything magical to happen. So Mm -hmm. that's that's how the default configuration works. But uh, yes, so if if the locks are enabled, Hazelcast has a distributed lock and that's where those, uh, that algorithm is... uh, is uh, that's where the raft algorithm comes in because that's when you have to pick the leader and all that stuff but that is handled by hazelcast transparently because hazelcast implements that algorithm and as long as your cluster is stable you won't need uh you won't have any issues mm-hmm. but um you, you see the, you said the singleton is serializable what it means is that all the fields in the singleton are serialized as value to the hash map correct Ah, okay, so now I got you. So, so, so also, what you have to be aware of in the clustered, because it works the way it does. When you interact with a clustered singleton, if it's not on the machine that you're calling it, it's going to be an RPC call behind the scenes. Hazelcast is going to make that, so it's transparent to you. But what's actually happening is it's over the network. It's going to store your data over the network if the partition happens to be on a different machine that you're on. Okay. Okay. So, the, what you get with that, you can imp- very easily implement a session management, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is what I during the show, Airhack show, I thought of something about different idea. So what we would like to have sometimes in projects, this is what I mentioned earlier to you. What what you wanted to disagree with me, <laughs> that uh, the singleton is not about data. Is is a resource which only has to exist once in a cluster. And and the best possible case is, or or best possible case, uh, uh, the the interesting case is a scheduler, right, or timer. Timer. Because yeah. it is uh, because the timer behind the scenes it stores the timer configuration and you know the last event, the when it's fired, and has to just fire once in a cluster. But the developer doesn't care how it happens. It yes. just you know it use it would like that the timer will fire once per cluster. This is what I thought also you know, a canonical use case. But you're right. With the cluster, you get something like you know, a session, something like HTTP, no HTTP session, just a session for free. So you could use, for instance, for WebSockets. This would be the great use case, right? Because WebSockets are somehow problematic. So you can store some session data for WebSockets in your clustered singleton. You can store it, it's basically your 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 singleton data and methods. It's 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 basically it really is what it what it claims to be, which is it stores an object in the cluster once per cluster. That's mm-hmm. basically what it is. Yeah. But then uh, I I would still, you know, I was so half right or 
half wrong. You were definitely you were more than half right. You were about three quarters right. You you were because three quarters were the three quarters of the good stuff was right and the quarter of the bad stuff was was, was okay. not wrong but you know a little yeah. bit exaggerated what it actually is. Yeah. But um why I wouldn't use it or wouldn't suggest it just as uh, because uh, it really depends on the um network quality between the cluster nodes how well it works. So if you have you know distributed uh, uh singleton and you would like to lock it. So the lock algorithm, you know, the latency, it highly depends on the network quality. Absolutely. And if you'd run it in Kubernetes, not in Payara Cloud, but, you know, in in, 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 in Kubernetes just, uh, EKS, let's say, or AKS, then what even can happen that your two pods would run in different availability zones, which is very likely. So it means it will run into data centers. So uh, the latency is going to be higher than if they were run in one data center. It's not, you know, crazy, but under heavy load, deadlocks may happen, or even, you know, it will just serialize, it will serialize the invocation because, I mean, this is a singleton with, with locks. So I would just say, you know, try to avoid such a thing uh, or a concept of distributed singleton because it is a um, single point of problem, not even failure. You know, you have to care about that. So this was the... The idea, right? Of course. Again, the use case has to be correct. You're absolutely right. If you have distributed availability zones or distributed regions, it's not. I I don't think even Hazelcast is going to work in a. Uh, is it in order to have a cluster that's that has different regions in it? I think you have to have Hazelcast Enterprise, and you have to have a separate connection that that's this that that is made for low latency. They call it WAN distribution. So we're talking about a completely different use case than a regular Hazelcast cluster that's basically three, four, five nodes, depending on, or, 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 or many, depending on what your scalability factors are. But if you are using it in the right use case where you're storing your cluster singleton in the same availability zone and the cluster basically is meant for scale versus... Uh, you know, distributed in different availability zones, or or it, it, it is it is for basically for scale as opposed to for uh, redundancy is yeah. is, is basically where the use case it would be. Because um, if I'm in the clouds, I have less control. So if we use, for instance, ECS or Fagate or whatever, I just you know the containers are started, and uh, and they have whether they communicate with each other or not, it really depends on the network configuration. Absolutely. And we have the load balancer up front, so I know that the traffic can flow from from the uh from from east from east to west. <laughs> but uh from north to south, it really depends on security groups or whatever, so it's not that easy. But another use case could be you know like a persistence mechanism even because if you have multiple nodes, this is what I actually also did. Uh, I had uh several nodes and just store the data in, in, in memory. No one cared, you know, it just worked well. And you can even offload the data to to, 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 to disk. So you could have something like lightweight uh, S3 almost persistence, because if you look at S3, it looks like um, a hash map or hash table. Exactly. And and, and and this you are not far away from this, but then I would maybe even expose, you know, the native hash map, Hazelcast hash map, because the uh, Hazelcast hash map it's just a hash map, right? This concurrent hash map yes. is implemented by yeah, Hazelcast, that, which exactly. is great design, actually. It was. Uh, it, it's actually the way it's implemented. It's actually quite simple. It's a 
basically a a small veneer on top of Hazelcast hash map. That's that's pretty much it. It's just putting the pieces together, integrating it with uh, the way the EJBs or CDI beans work, and basically make sure that after each interaction, each transaction, it goes and stores it in the map because it, it has to reserialize whenever the data is changed. So mm-hmm. all of that, just integrating all of that into into the code and make it transparent. So the goal of this, you know, you can do this, you can you can implement this by yourself in, in Hazelcast pretty easily. But the thing is, it's just super easy just to slap Hazelcast, uh, slap the clustered annotation onto your existing bean and put it, make it serializable, and basically you're done. And you don't need to really write any code. Well, I would shouldn't say that because once you make it serializable, you have to make sure that all your fields are serializable, make sure that works and all tested because that's the only way to make sure it actually works. And as, as you said, you know, the cluster configuration itself is very important to make sure that the network latencies and the lock configuration is ex- actually what you want. Because it will do exactly what's basically written on the box, but the negative side of it is it'll do exactly what's written on the box. If you have bad configuration that, that's not working, your cluster singleton is not going to make it work any better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, I, I just thought because um, at first... Uh, what I remember is that the implementation of the concurrent hash map uh, comes with additional statistics, I think, right? So if you, you can cast to the Hazelcast hash map and you get some more interesting methods, there are more methods available than in the concurrent hash map, because, of course, this implementation. So this is the first thing. What I, what I thought now uh, is what you could do, actually, you could implement additional or require to implement additional interface and make the singleton serializable as JSON. You you can do that. Hazelcast, you know, like today, Hazelcast has a data serialization mechanism and you can use that instead of having it be a Java serializable and then it'll just work out of the box. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you, so I would use it clustered. So if I'm, you know, if I get the Payara support contract, I would just put clustered and no play with Hazelcast. I don't want to know, to, to know anything about Hazelcast, just use clustered and I'm done. And But uh, what you could have, like, the, so clustered and another annotations with JSON, and then it will uh, require you to have a JSON B annotations or be JSON B serializable on the uh, on the uh, you know the, the the clustered singleton can be JSON B serializable, which could be interesting because it's faster, safer, and uh, and you could make it accessible, right? I'm not sure what the use case would be. What, what what what's in your in your mind? What is the use case for that? I mean, what what I use a lot is uh, I use um, S3 for persistence. Let's say. And instead of using database, we use JSON to 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 store an object graph. So you want to store the clustered singleton not in Hazelcat, but but in S3, for example. No, I would like to store the uh, clustered singleton as JSON in the hash map of Hazelcat, and why? Because the Java serialization mechanism safety can be problematic, and uh, with the JSON value, you can make them available through other channels as well you know you could inject let's say the hazel the the singleton somewhere else as json json object you know java uh, json p you uh, as i said before you can make that happen uh hazelcast has uh is called the interface called data serializable and you can do that today and you can serialize it in json and store it in the map 
as JSON if you want today. So what do you mean? So if I if I have a Java class with yes. it clustered, and yes. and use the data serializer from Hazelcast, mm -hmm. then instead your of, mechanism, yeah. Instead of having a serialize implement serializable, you can say implements data serializable from Hazelcast, and yeah. then you can serialize it however you want JSON. And it, basically, they have they have all that. They have a way to serialize it as JSON. Okay, that, that's cool. Exactly what you say. What, so, so your implementation is aware of the interface, and if you see it sees the interface, it would just use JSON. It's it's not me. It's basically Hazelcast functionality. I didn't do. I yeah, didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah, but you know what? What do you do? You pick the object and pass this to Hazelcast, and Hazelcast whatever has to do. What it could also do that you process the object first and you pass in all the the stream to Hazelcast. This this will be also an yeah. I don't do that. I just I just use what the Hazelcast like as as little as possible. Very minimalistic. Very pra pragmatic. Uh, as as little code as possible. Okay. Um, then what I assume what you use as a key is the type of the class, right? Uh, I have to remember. I have to try to remember that. Um, I, I think the key the is generated. One. I think the key is generated from the EJB, however the EJB is stored in Payara or CDIB is stored in Payara. Oh, ah, okay. Because you know, if this is already in JSON, the question is how to access it from somewhere else. Because it's just the mechanism I'm using, and I would like you know to get the. Uh, the state of the of the clustered singleton, I would need to have a key or whatever. So what I'm thinking about is for you, I, I can have you know o almost almost CQRS. So the at clustered is the singleton. If I access it, it changes state, stores in JSON, and then I could inject clustered, and this has to be JSON object JSONP, and I get the state of the of the singleton as JSON. Yeah, you can do all that today. Including monitoring, the monitoring case is also also very good. Uh, uh, Hazelcast has built-in monitoring, and it can use like Prometheus and all that stuff out of the box today. All you have to do is configure it, and the cluster singleton will already be in there. Okay. And you can use also cool. the CQRS method. You can you can put in event listeners on it. You can do all that today. Yeah, I know, but I know. In order to this is what I actually did, but I have to use Hazelcast. So you know yeah. what you could do with your annotation. You can make your clustered annotation a qualifier for injection, and then just inject JSON objects, which are the deserialized Hazelcast. This would be a view lines of code and would be actually yeah, maybe you, even useful. I, I think you can do that pretty easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. So you have another. So I think we clarified everything, right? So I, I would yeah, say we know absolutely. exactly how it works. Absolutely. So it's very cool. No magic. And, uh, no magic. Just no just magic. No magic. No magic. Just Lenny. So you have a t-shirt, you know. <laughs> just, just a lot of hard work behind the scenes. That that that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> I'm still working for Payara, I assume, right? For... No. Um, for the last year, I uh, all I did was do my aviation thing. I'm not working for anybody. Uh, as of today, uh, as of last year, like for the last year, uh, the first six months uh, since last uh, about June, July, I was very busy with training. I did no uh, no tech technology work, like not at all. And uh, I started flying in August of last year, and it took me a while to get used to the airplane and and make sure that you know I knew everything I needed to know. And uh, basically, this year in 2022, uh, I was uh, well enough. I was 
familiar with the plane and the operation at the, at the aviation company well enough to be able to have some spare time to do some technology again. And, but I didn't want to work for any, any company. I just wanted to do basically clear out the backlog that I had with my own personal projects. And that involves contributing to a few open source uh, things. And I have done that. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've been invited to be a committer on the Apache Shiro project uh, just about a few days ago, which is big news for me, my first Apache committer, which I'm very excited about. As a user of Apache Shiro uh, back in the day and in my, in my personal projects, I'm very excited. I, I like the way Apache Shiro does security. I think what they're doing is great. And... Uh, they, uh, they they need some Jakarta E integration, and I have a Jakarta E integration module that that they want me to contribute into Shiro, and uh, that's pretty much the next thing that that I'm going to do. But it's all my spare time. I'm not working for anybody. I may be available next year for some projects, and I may go back to Payara. Uh, we'll see what happens. But currently, uh, I'm like the true open source maintainer. Volunteer for free. I'm not. I'm getting zero dollars out of it. So you are coding for food, right? So in your t-shirt. No, I. <laughs> not even no, for I'm, food. Just for free, right? So yeah, free. People, I'm nothing. Zero, zero. Yeah. So if people will know, like, to hire you and just you know, drop your mail and it will fix the bugs and there is no no money exchange, right? So this. No, is, no, no, no money. I have a get. Just I kidding. A, <laughs> well, I have a GitHub sponsor account and. Uh, you guys feel free to anybody. Anybody who's listening to uh, to, to the podcast, I would. would so what's like your account? So we name. have you know, what's your account name on uh, GitHub? My corporate account is Flow Logics. My corporate entity is Flow F L O W L O G I X with an X instead of a C S. And my personal account mm -hmm. is L Premac L P R I M A K. And uh, I'm I'm contributing to Shiro. I'm contributing to Prime Faces. And uh, Payara, I've made a few contributions to Payara, very small ones. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like Payara. I think uh, it's, it's just the easiest way to do Jakarta EE. It, you know, things work as they should uh, in Payara. Uh, I'm sure they do in JBoss Wildfly as well. But, you know, my, my issue was when I was upgraded back back in the day to JBoss 5 from JBoss 4. It broke everything, and they had pretty much... Yeah, JBoss 5 was not usable, I think. Yeah. Uh, they just, you know, you should skip it and use, go with JBoss 6. Um, but uh, the cluster annotations you wrote at your Payara time, right? This was your... Yeah, that was my... I think that was my biggest contribution to Payara uh, as far as the project is concerned. I mean, I've done many, many, many bug fixes... Uh, and uh, I mean, bug fixes have a, 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 a huge impact on customers who have those bugs. Uh, but I think overall, the biggest impact on the ecosystem, I believe, in my opinion, was the clustered annotation. I mean, everybody's at, I don't know what... asked for it and like nobody had a solution to it that required that didn't require any configuration. This was it. Yeah. Con how it should be conventional by configuration. So, um, I don't know what they know, but the, there is an episode one eight one with uh, Benjamin Mawell. Yes, I've, about Apache Shiro. Yes, I've listened to that, and uh, uh, if I may add something about Apache Shiro, the yes, uh, 
I think a lot of people talk about Apache Shiro in a lot of different ways. Yes, it's a security framework. Yes, it does authentication. Yes, it does authorization. But there's so many other projects that do the same thing. I don't think people talk enough about what is the unique feature about Apache Shiro. And in my view, is ease of configuration. I'm all about that. You have one file, uh, 10 lines long, and your security is done. And that's the Shiro ini, the initialization file. You put it in your web inf. You get it. You you get it in there. It's ten lines long. You basically say uh, this page is is secured by this, and this page is secured by that, and that's the user that accesses this page, and this as user user accesses that page. So your routing is all in there. All of that is basically it, it, it's super easy to figure out how to do that. And it's all in one place. And once you're done, it's a 15-line configuration for most projects. Uh, and and you see it; it's plain, it's totally obvious what it does. There's no magic, and and your security is done basically. And that's the beauty of it. Nicole, Shiro. and when you used uh, Shiro in your um, logistics projects, yeah, yeah, okay. that's when back in the day I started. Uh, I tried to figure out what to use, what to do with, with, with a web framework, and I started with Apache Tapestry back in the day, and it's still maintained, and their default security uh, uh, framework was Apache Shiro, and that's how I discovered Apache Shiro. Um, but then, you know, I figured out I figured out the tapestry. Tapestry is a good concept. But the, the biggest issue that I had with Tapestry is that they have their own CDI framework, basically. They have their own oh. dependency injection. And the problem with that is that it has so many ways to do the same thing. And in order to figure out exactly how to, fig how to do dependency injection, it's next to impossible because there's, there's so many ways to do the same thing and none of them work, which is the big deal. None of them work. And every time I tried to do something different in, in Tapestry, I had to go to the, this dependency injection framework, and I was, it was like banging my head against the wall. It just none of the things that I tried to do do work. And I'm like, this there is the CDI thing where you, you, you do something with CDI and it works. There is anything you do with CDI, it just works. It it it's it, it I don't have to I don't have to bang my head against the wall. So I'm like, can I use Tapestry with CDI? No. So that's where I said, oh, let me use JSF. Oh, nobody likes JSF, blah, blah, blah. I started with JSF, JSF Prime Faces, super easy. And the only thing it was missing is the Shiro integration. So I wrote my Shiro integration, and uh, I, I never looked back. It, it's so easy to write web applications, secure web applications with that with that combination. It's just just a... Just, just fantastic tools. Are you also following the Jakarta E10, or uh, do you know? Um, yes, uh, Jakarta EE10. As far as security, or as far as just plain whatever, whatever interests you. So I like what they're doing. The CDI integration is what they should have done a long time ago. But you know, they. I mean, there's there's a lot of work that had that had to be done. Yeah. So I'm not on Jakarta EE10, but hopefully soon. Okay, and and you wanted also know to share with me some updates, some secret updates. Well, the so secret we covered now. 
that I'm yeah. that I'll be a committer for Apache Shiro, which is which is nice. Okay, very cool. So um, I'm still not using Lombok, and I know that you try you know to uh, to make me generate some getters and setters with Lombok, but the problem is I don't even have getters and setters. So uh, I'm still using Lombok. Ah no, now there is no no Lombok for you because you stopped you know working with Java, which is uh, unfortunate. But uh, if you will you know if you are grounded again, so uh, for what are you using Lombok still, or are you not using it anymore? Uh, okay, so the biggest thing is equals and hash code. Sure. So in uh, entities with builders, beautiful use case for Lombok. Uh, entity beans with builders. So JPA and builders, okay. Yep. JPA, JPA builders yep. equals and hash code. Never have to mm -hmm. write your equals and hash code. And delegate. Instead of okay. you know inheriting a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need to inherit, use delegate. And that's okay. so I, I reviewed that. a, a lots of projects last uh, this year and last year. And where I can tell you the uh, favorite annotations which uh, developers like to use in Lombok, equals and hash code never saw this. Delegate never saw this in projects. Really? The most, uh, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, what they are using is uh, default constructor, then uh, required default constructor. Yeah, I use that. that. That's a small one, but yeah. 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 Then log, then you get injected one logger, then uh, getters and setters, getters and setters. And sometimes the builder, but this is already, you know, the first one where I say, okay, that's interesting. Or other projects, they, they would be happier without Lombok. Oh, the. The one beautiful use of Lombok is uh, serializable transient final fields. You cannot have a clean solution for transient serializable final fields without Lombok because you can use... Why do you need this? Why, for what you would use transient serializable fields? Okay, let's say you have a serializable object with a non-serializable field. What do you do? Especially a final one. What do you do? You, you, it's a big problem because if you want to make a serializable object, you have to have all your fields serializable. And there are some mm -hmm. fields that you're using from, like, from a different library or whatever that are not serializable. But you can put transient. You can tell transient, right? Okay. Let's say you do that. You can do, you can do private transient final field. But now what happens when you deserialize it? It's null. Mm-hmm. And now you have to go through every one of those fields, and uh, but they're final. Now you can't even set them. What do you do? So, yeah, okay, but so there is a there is a solution to that, and the solution involves a magic method in in, in the serialization mechanism called read resolve. I'm sure you're familiar with mm -hmm. that. One. Yeah, yeah. So read resolve. What that does is reconstructs the whole object. And returns that instead of the object that was deserialized. So, the the what what you can do with that is in that method, all you have to do is put in one line that's called to builder dot build and return that. Mm -hmm. Lombok generates to builder with the fields that are all, already there deserialized and builds a whole new object that all, actually constructs all of your transient final and makes them correct automatically. So one line okay. resolve fixes all of those problems on one line. My answer to this would be what I would use is just Java records if I have to serialize something and the serialization of Java records was completely changed to be safe and I wouldn't have such problems. So I, I, I get you. 
in all the libraries, I'm with you. Maybe I would yes. even use Lombok. But in newer projects, I still don't see this, you know, because uh, for JPA, this builder could be interesting, but the dependency to an external code generator is still high. I mean, you know, this is, uh, I have to my clients, is a risk. So if, you know, if the people, uh, Lombok uh, committers lose their, you know, spirit to, to maintain the library, and uh, you get, you know, you have, uh, you get your flight flight hours again. So there will be no maintenance on, on the Lombok side, right? That is true, but that's a risk with everything you do. Uh, there's also yeah, but... D Lombok plugin. If you want to, if you want to like save your code, you can just use D Lombok and it'll generate all the code that Lombok generates and you're done. So that's the not, problem that's is, a risk you know, the dependency. The dependency is similar to let's say xdoclet so it is higher to your usual library because it 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 plugs to your build system and generates behind the scenes code i would say you know the dependency on lombok is higher than the dependency on jakarta commons blank I, I i don't know if that's it's it's a view but it's i don't think it's it's something that's universal as as, as you say it is i think it's uh it's kind of how you view it and if you um and yeah. it's an, I think it's more of an opinion. It's more of a opinion. Yeah. It's more of a style. It's more of a, if you want to use it, use it. If you don't, don't. It's, it's, it's kind of like that. And yeah, but if you use Lombok, not forget the setters and default constructors. This is, this is, this, this, this I'm completely again. So if you find, you know, an interesting case, like in your case, so you have a serialization and you, you really have to have, you know, the standard serialization with final, then go for it or equals and hash code you know to to maintain object and cache or whatever so, so i see this absolutely this is like a huge benefit i i would say what you have to do is right now uh, uh you have to know some 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 pros and cons just have you absolutely. know the uh, uh roughly estimation but most of the projects don't do that so they 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 you know the enterprise project they ask me you know am, are we allowed to use lombok because we like it it's like what means like it i mean just go with java 17 first and see how it goes right this is I don't like you know to use external library before not evaluating all the options Java 17 microprofile and Jakarta Jakarta give you so this is the only thing you know oh and, can and I can yeah. I I agree with that but can I bring something up uh something yeah, sure. that you say in your podcast and I always I I have to disagree with you on that one uh because the matter of the audience right when you say oh I'm going to be pragmatic I'm going to copy the code I'm not going to like make it in a library interfaces, all that. I'm going to copy the code. And that works for people who have been around the block. But if you have somebody who is like fresh out of school listening to this, they're going to copy a 10,000 line function and make it, make it a 20,000 okay. line function. Because, you know, people don't necessarily have the context of you and I have of the experience of uh, like what is pragmatic, right? So for you and I, what, what you, I know what you mean. I know when you say mm -hmm. that, let me copy a code and be pragmatic, is that I don't, I don't want to over-engineer. I will copy this, you know, this little function. And when I copy it for the third time, then I know that this is something that I want to extract. This is something I want to refactor. Mm -hmm. When somebody like out of school, somebody who doesn't know any better, listen to this with no context, they're like, oh, I see, I, I found this function on GitHub. You know, here's the thousand line function. I'm going to copy that whole thing. I'm going to copy it in my code. 
modify a couple of lines here, and I'm going to copy it again into another function, copy, uh, modify a couple of lines there. I'm going to do that 500 different times, and I'm going to be, be pragmatic. And you, know, you and I both know that that's, that's not true. So mm -hmm. you've you got to put that into some context that you can't just copy the code and, and have it, you know. And, and yeah. there's got to be some context for that. The, the first rule would be uh, I like to copy my own code. Right or or code from my team, small team, but at what I don't like at all, copy code from you know GitHub or or Stack Overflow. Yeah. And the reason being is because if I just copy the code, I understand it less. I know what it, what what it says, but uh, it is somehow strange because I'm not happy, you know, with the naming. I'm not happy with everything what I see there. So yeah. it is better to look at the code and refactor it or yeah. just rethink the idea. So I'm am I against copying third party code and it, you can also get a, a license issues even with exactly. with that which I also saw so what I also saw this uh, many issues right yes <laughs> in one project I said you should not use any external dependencies so and what they did then <laughs> they copied the source code right from yeah. the external project and I said okay this is even worse I said this is even worse you know this was not meant this way right so I say but you said no external dependencies now we know we copied the source code and I said okay thankfully the license was compatible this would be LGPL would be worse so um I but um I mean I think it's just reasonable because if I I would say it would be worse if the someone out of college would just read the gang of four patterns and there would be just everything would be dry and they would implement all the patterns because this is harder to fix. I would say a code copy, you identify it if, if the project is smaller somehow. And it's easy to refactor. But if you have, you know, all the Gang of Four patterns in your project, it's sometimes harder, you know, because all the copies and whatever and interfaces and, 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 and impulse and, and factories is really, yeah, it is maybe harder to simplify. I don't know if you have a thousand line function that was copied five times and one or two lines or maybe five lines in different places changed in in all of them. I think that would be more. Difficult. Yeah, but one thousand lines function is is extreme, right? So I would say yes, I, I'm with you. But this I, is like I, you know, is it now? I'm sure you've seen worse in your projects because I have, and I'm not. I'm what not I have to say, what I have to say, the Java project are getting better. This is not that that problematic like you know 10 years ago so right now what i see it is not that craziness what i saw you know 10 years ago there are no more that exaggerated whatever and um That's good and, to and, and to, to to set the context so currently i'm working on a class there's my own class and there's like 400 lines of code and i'm no more happy with it so i'm thinking how you know to simplify this or maybe introduce another class or whatever but they have to communicate so this is so i'm 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 okay with copying but if you look at this and this is no more simple, you have to do something about this. You know, what I'm just saying, copying is just valid. So uh, you can you can copy if it simplifies things. Great. But you yes. shouldn't just copy and, and make it work somehow. You know, you have to be yeah. you have to be happy with the, you know, complete solution. What you what you what you created. Right. Exactly. So all I'm saying is. When you say copy the code, have some context around it because you don't want these people listening to you and saying that, oh, that means I can copy thousand lines functions and, you know, refactoring is stupid and all that stuff. Because, you know, I... Uh, Recently, we copied a lot of code, but now, uh, and then we are in the process, you know, because if you copy the code, you are free to change it. So it is freer to change. You can just, you know, improve the code and do whatever. And what I then tend to do is to to extract it again. 
So if I have two projects and I say they are somehow related before I, you know, link the projects together, I will keep it independent and say, okay, one project depends on, on the other. So I can copy the code over, then improve the code and then extract it. Exactly. Because the, and that's fine. Because, because, you know, because the other option would be that, uh, that the projects are depending on each other, but then you are slowed down because of the build. You have to build the first one, wait, you know, until uh, this, I don't like it. And also refactoring is, so th it will hold you uh, back the, the, the first iterations. So I would say it's okay to copy, but then remember you have to do something about yes. this and then extract it or merge the projects together or do something. So this is like, you know, a, a, a cycle, right? Yes, you, you have Continuous to remember that when you do that, you accumulate technical debt and you will have to refactor exactly. it at, at some Very good. Point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the context that I'm talking about. If we put it that in that context, that's what you're saying, pragmatic way, is perfectly fine. But you got to remember yeah. that context and not just, you know, start copying all over the place and then you you come up with a complete mess. Oh, yeah, I one... don't even remember when I said this because uh, just as a conversation, right? So we, we, we if we talk about software, so it's just... What happens? Uh, it's not like, you know, my, my podcast is not very formal. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, th there is one more thing about the Apache Shiro that I'm going to, I forgot to say. Um, forms. My latest pet peeve is forms. Online forms, they suck. Okay. Every, every time I go to fill out a form, it either doesn't work or that you get like red boxes and if you have no idea you have no idea why you got them or you lose data like you enter like a long form and you submit it and something goes wrong and um you know and and then you know and then you have to re-enter everything and mm -hmm. every time it, it seems like oh and there and if you have like form fillers like uh on on a mac or in google you have uh, uh, things that fill out the forms for you and they use a password manager. God forbid if I fill out a credit card with my password manager, half of it takes, half of it doesn't take. And when that happens, a lot of times when you look at the console log, there's something went wrong with the JavaScript. There's a whole bunch of JavaScript that, that, that people write to process these forms behind the scenes or maybe there's some frameworks that, that do that and people don't know how to use them. But half the forms. Even worse, even worse. You know what happens with the forms? Uh, what what usually happens with all the you know sophisticated forms, that they send everything back because before saving. So if you type you know your credit card, there are some companies out there which will save the credit card immediately to the server. So you have the credit card, mm -hmm. but you didn't push the submit button. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, there's so many uh, just just so many problems. And I think uh, it's it's because of this non-pragmatic use of these JavaScript frameworks, and and just just things don't work. And I have to go back to the the old world where you submit the old world. I think the old world should be new again, like in JSF, where you submit and it actually actually goes either either with AJAX or not, but it just submits all the form fields the way the browser is supposed to submit submit all the form fields and have it have it processed on the server and come back, and I think it just works better than all that JavaScript. I think it's I think it's pretty hacky. So to uh, to continue with with that thought, what I did with that Apache Shiro, um, I made form resubmit automatic. For example, 
Um, you say you, you fill out a form and then you go back and you have a session, right? And I know a lot of people don't have sessions anymore, but a lot of people still do. So let's say you, you submit a form and you go back and the session expires, right? Uh, what do you get? You get a login prompt and you, you get an empty form back. So what I did with the Apache Shiro integration was an automatic form resubmit. For example, if you fill out a form and then you go away and then you submit, hit the submit button and the session has expired, the framework automatically resubmits your form. Like basically you get a login prompt, you log, in, you log back in, you put in your credentials or whatever it is, however the login is through Facebook or whatever, all off, however you want to do it. But once you do that, the form doesn't get lost. It gets automatically resubmitted, and it's like the session never expired. So I, I'm pretty proud of that. That took, that took a lot of work. That's basically what I did this summer, which is pretty cool, I think. Okay, cool. Uh, but uh, you use JavaScript for that, right? No. Uh, under, the, under the scene, when you hit the submit button, it's either it's JavaScript or not JavaScript. It doesn't matter. There's a post request going on, right? Yeah, but it, the resubmission. This is this a no. So. Oh, so let me explain how it works under the covers. Yeah. So when you hit the submit button, no matter where, whether JavaScript or, or uh, uh, no matter how. It Just we have, let, let's say we have regular form, mm -hmm. you know, form tag, input type text or whatever exactly. and submit button, regular submit button, exactly. button. How standardized, you know, by web standard form, yeah. not no JavaScript, no like, you know, just standard. Okay. Yes. Okay. What happens? Post, you get a post request. Okay. Same thing with JavaScript. You also get a post request, right? You get a post request no matter what. Yeah. With JavaScript, it would just, you know, tell form submit, but it's the, the same mechanism behind the scenes. Exactly. So yeah. with JavaScript, you get a post with a JSON payload with regular form submission you get a uh, form URL encoded post with a form URL encoded submit. Exactly. This is the standard. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So no matter what, you get a post request with a payload, bottom line. So what... what to make it more precise, because otherwise we will have to, 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 to have a follow-up again. So in JavaScript world, you don't get the JSON per default. If you just submit the form, you get exactly the same. In JavaScript, you will have to actually disable the event. There is a call called prevent default. If you push yes. the submit button, nothing will happen. And then you get received the form form data. This is the name of the JavaScript object. And it contains hash map or hash map, a map of the data of the of the form. And then you can construct JSON from it, which is very which is standard almost in all, fr all frameworks, but you yes. have to do something. Yes. If, if you JavaScript say submit the form, you get exactly the same. Uh, um, form how it's called URL encoded. You know the the uh, the built-in format. I forgot what's, yeah, what was the name form again. URL encoded. Form URL form URL encoded. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is the way everybody does it is basically a post with a payload. So what I do is I trap on the server. I trap the, some kind of an exception, whether it's been like user logged out or. Uh, in JSF ah, is, is okay. uh, there's some kind of an exception that happens, some kind of exceptional condition. So basically, I trap that. I have the form saved. I have whatever that payload is, the post request, I save that. So and I wait for the user to re-log in again. And, you know, as, as a part of the request, I have a flag that says, oh, this user submitted the form. It didn't go through. Now he's re-logged in again, and I will resubmit that form on the behalf of the user. 
So what that does is automatically uh, transp and transparently submits the form as though the exception or error never happened. And I think it's it's pretty cool. This is pretty cool. Okay, this uh, so what it means is you are uh, in case you are no more no more logged in. So your session has expired. Mm -hmm. Then if you resubmit the session, instead of rejecting the post request, you are caching the post request. Exactly. And then and you're waiting for a period of time. And if the user relogins, it you just reprocessing the form. Exactly. Which is cool. Because this is independent from the client. You have to do nothing. The only thing could be you have to be careful with the encryption, right? Because if the if you're storing it somewhere, if the user is no more logged in, you cannot store it forever. Because no. if the user will yeah. Of course. No, there's an expiration date, obviously, on that. Yeah, data. perfect. The user doesn't. I mean, the, the use case isn't. You know, you're you you walk in and you, you submit the form, or or you try to submit and then you walk back out for a day and then come back. The thing is that you you submit the form, you go to lunch, you come back, you hit the button, and then it's like, oh, now you got to re-log in again. So I re-log in again immediately and hit login button, and then your form is still there for you being submitted. That's the use. But you will actually have to encrypt the form data with the user key. Uh, because if someone has access to the server and you know serializes everything on on the on the hard disk, then it will could see a sensitive data of the user. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it yeah, that cache is encrypted. It it has to be because it it does it is user data just like anything with user user data. You yeah, but it has to be encrypted yeah. every not the entire cache has to be encrypted, but just you know the form data has to be encrypted with the user key. Well, it's a separate so cache. every user. The, the way the way I store it is in a separate cache, and that cache is encrypted. Okay, cool. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. So you were busy. So you are flying a lot. Yeah, I, I was with a small busy. machine where there is no room for an iPad, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Is it a toy? You know, it is like remote controlled uh, airplane or something. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's it's a seventeen thousand pound airplane, which is uh, not okay. Not, not what what too, is it? Is it Cessna or was it was it Cessna or what it's, is it? It's called a Cessna Citation. Yeah, ah, I saw it. It's Cessna Citation. It is a it's a serious uh, jet, right? Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a small. It's a, they call it light jet, but it's not. You know, it's 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 a big plane. It's not a small. I mean. It's it's a small compared to like a seven thirty seven, but it's uh, big compared to like a four seater plane. And uh, what was the larger plane you ever flew? The largest plane I ever flew was a seven thirty seven. Oh, this is the largest. Boeing. Okay, and okay, okay. There's of course no comparison to this one, right? Because this is right bare to metal, and the seven thirty seven was like uh, Kubernetes, right? <laughs> if you compare it, <laughs> the Cessna EC two machine yeah. and the Boeing seven. 37 is like Kubernetes engine, right? Well, Boeing 737 is a 170,000 pound airplane, and this one is a 17,000 pound airplane. So it's 10 times, 737 is 10 times heavier for max, maximum mm -hmm. takeoff weight. What's about speed? Uh, about 80% of a 737. It's pretty fast. Okay. About 500, and the range? 500 miles an hour. Uh, well, from Nebraska, it'll go to either west or east coast most days. Sometimes you have to stop, but that's kind of rare. Okay. So about uh, so, fifteen hundred miles. Okay, and then seven thirty-seven and far more, right? Seven thirty-seven will go about I don't know. I think four thousand miles. So oh, if it's not a couple of times. Okay. Okay, cool, Lenny. 
I will invite you back in one and a half years and see whether you are still flying or more hacking. This is the always interesting. Yes. And keep the forms, you know, JavaScript free, right? This is your mission. <laughs> yes, this, the, the for, form JavaScript and forms. It's 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 tough to it's it's a difficult problem. It's it's it has definitely not been solved yet. Oh, oh the, the the master question is: Have you used uh, Lombok for the implementation of the form storing algorithm? I have. Oh. Not for the algorithm. Okay, sorry, not for the algorithm, but it's used in the framework because it, most because of all the reasons I talked about before. Yeah, but maybe you know the listeners have st still would like to try it. Also, Lombok is used behind the scenes. There's oh, no reason you, not to use it, right? Oh, oh, this is the, this is the whole thing, right? If if the library uses is uses Lombok, the user of the library doesn't need to know anything about Lombok. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. This is no dependency on Lombok. This is actually a good thing because the Lombok generates. Uh, there is no Lombok at runtime. It no. just you know generates bytecode. So this actually, this is actually the first positive <laughs> aspect what I can find about Lombok that it actually uh, can generate. It, it just resolves after the build. You know, there's just no more Lombok. It's just the source code of Lombok, which exactly. was which is remaining. And yeah. there's no source code either. It's it's all bytecode. Bytecode, so, bytecode. Yeah. So your 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 class is transform transformed on the fly during compilation. So your bytecode generated is basically the bytecode so there's no additional source files unless you want them you can put a dlombok plugin which will give you the generated code but if you don't put the plugin in it just it just works there's no additional source code anything it just uh, it just does it transparently during compilation it just processes it and generates the bytecode as as it's basically enhanced java c that that's kind of how i think about it yeah exactly yeah yeah cool so where people can find you and uh, again, you know, sponsor you on GitHub sponsors. If yeah. everyone you know a listener will give you an one dollar, you will be a billionaire in the shortest amount of time, right? Yes, it's uh, L Lenny Primak, L P R I M A K on Twitter, on GitHub, Flow Logics on GitHub, uh, and you know, I have a website, flowlogics.com, which uh, that's that's another thing. Uh, um, I don't want to talk. I don't want you. I don't want to. Uh, we you should invite me back. I am in the process of figuring out how to do web correctly because whatever I see out there, I just in my mind it doesn't make it doesn't make much sense. There's a lot of frameworks and none of them work correctly. So oh, um, have you seen my BCE design? Template? I have, I have, but it depends on you know JavaScript. There's a lot of stuff that is missing. Yeah. But it's good. It's it's good. What, what you did is good with what 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 basically is out there. It just yeah. what's out there. I don't think it's 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 not nearly enough. Perfect. Thank you. Was fun, and we clarified a lot of stuff. And I'm happy about you know the clustered and uh, the and the next AirHacks TV show. We can clarify you know the problem. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate being on the show, and I always like talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.